0: Amen. Wasn't that good what Jackie brought? Amen. Man. Whew. It just fills in a, brings it to critical mass. Amen? Yes. It. You know, um, I don't remember Is here somewhere the scripture was quote, I don't remember where it's at, but it said, when when Jesus returns will will he find faith in the earth. And we all know that God's word says and, uh, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Rama or God-breathed word. And so what we, I believe what that's dealing with is what I've heard and what I shared last night, what Jackie did and everything, and that is building that level of intimacy with the Lord. Because you, you learn to recognize the voice of God. See, how many of you know that every believer hears the voice of God? But how many of you realize not every believer recognizes the voice of God? You know, I, you know I, I've gone through those times with, was that you, Lord? Was that me? Was that pizza? It, come, you know, you're trying to, you, you wrestle with it. But when it says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the rhema or the God-breathed word, and so if he's going to find faith in the earth, he's going to have to have a people that are intimate with him, and life is so busy that uh, people forget. I mean, talk a little bit just for a moment about uh, the tendency with ministries is ministry. As you move into it, you begin to, God begins to use you. And then you begin to build ministry around what God does through you. And you quit being intimate with him and setting aside time with him. And then one day, the manifestation dries up. Anybody recognize the name? Uh, Let me see if I can get it right. Uh, Sally Raphael. You know the name? I can't believe it with it. But she was a lady out of the Tulsa, the faith camp, that had a lot of feathers that manifested in her ministry. And she got to running and building ministry around a manifestation and dropped her intimacy, and they quit. And she had an apparatus built that... That she had a, a, a tube in her sleeve and she could do her elbow like that and it hit a button and shoot feathers out. Like a chicken. Really? This is true. And Willie George, you know, he was the guy that got into editing video. That's how he got started in ministry. And he was editing one of the videos and caught the movement. And she was exposed. Now, let me just tell you, I believe in the in the beginning days. She had a legitimate manifestation. But you never, and listen, prophecy is a manifestation. You cannot build ministry around a manifestation. You build ministry around your intimate relationship. I want to be, listen, uh, I, I've been around some great people of God, great intercessors and great people of God, and I want to be around those people because life comes off for of them. If you spend with time with the Giver of Life, life is contagious. I want to say that again. Life is contagious. Think about this for just a moment. You know, the worst I don't know, funerals or celebration of life you can go to is premature death, right? And, you know, the ones that, they all hurt us, but you go and maybe a teenager's killed in a car accident. I mean, those are hard. And I've watched over 40 years of full-time ministry now For that you're, you're at the visitation, very sad, very summer. I was at my best friend, Louis Francis McLean Jr.'s son. He was a crop duster, and he was killed in it. And I was there, and I was watching I mean, it was just Chad was loved by everyone, strong Christian, everything about it, but it was so hard, and someone walked in, and I, I'm just telling you, at Chad's celebration of life, the people were lined up close to five blocks to go through for the visitation. Uh, where, where I'm from in Arkansas is a, a, a tight-knit community, and I used to be a crop duster, and crop, and they're, they're like family And so it was that way, and all of the sadness and everything, and somebody walked in with a new baby, and everybody at the visitation turned because that baby was filled with life. And they moved away from it. And so you want to be around those people that are saturated with life. Anybody here know the name Milton Green? Hmm? He was a carpet cleaner who prayed for James Robson when James had some sin in his life. He was set free. He was an incredible guy. He could stand flat-footed and quote what God's Word said about him for 17 minutes. It changed my life. I heard him in 1983 in a James Robson conference in, in Dallas, and it changed my life. Got a lot of ministry, got to know him, and he had one of the greatest sayings that I've ever heard. He said, we just need to get full of God and slosh over on people. You can't slosh what you ain't got. You can't slosh. There's a lot of people that know about God, but they don't have that knowing. That's an intimate word, like Adam knew Eve. And when you have that intimacy, you're able to slosh over on people. You're able to release what what God has saturated you with and bring it in place. Go with me to the book of John, chapter 10. I want to speak for just a few moments, and then we're going to open up for questions and answers and kind of end uh, the prophetic uh, uh, conference here with that. But in John chapter 10 and verse 27, I'll read two scriptures to you, uh, 27 28. He says, and this is in red, you know, sometimes your electronic Bibles don't show you the red, but this is in red. My sheep hear my voice. Now, let's let's bring out some truth out of that. He said, my sheep. That gives indication there's other sheep out there. He, he didn't say sheep. He said, my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. There's that word of intimacy. In other words... They know, they, uh, hear, they hear his voice, and they're therefore intimate with him. I know them, and they follow me. How many of you remember the old commercial E.F. Hutton, when he spoke, everybody listened. Well, it's that way with Jesus. When he's speaking, we need to have our ears set. Years ago, I was... Uh, my sons and daughters class, I got a call. Uh, It was at two o'clock on Saturday. I got a call from the ladies that cleaned our building and they said, the sanctuary's flooded. And I I couldn't figure out. We had bought the Kroger store and turned it into a place for the church to meet. And uh, so I grabbed one of my daughters, my youngest daughter, Diane, and we went up to the church. And what had happened is uh, all of the air conditioning units were hung inside, uh, above, uh, above the ceiling, and the conden- uh, condensation tube had stopped up. It was a big unit, big room, and it had literally, we had tile floors, thank goodness, and there was water about, in, it wasn't an inch deep, bottle water about, you know, a quarter of an inch deep on the floor. And the church was new. I hadn't hadn't taught on deacons and installed deacon. And I was up there with these ladies, you know, trying to figure out what was wrong. And I had my daughter holding the ladder. And I'm standing on the ladder. And God spoke to me. And and I didn't say a word, but it shocked me what he said. And my daughter looked up and said, what's up, Dad? And I said, well, the Lord just spoke to me. And you just have to know my Diane. And she said... Sure, Dad, he just talks to you all the time. (laughs) I said, well, he just told me my left front wheel is going to come off my Suburban. We had just driven there with it. I came down off the ladder, I walked outside, and I bent down and I turned the first lug nut and it fell on the ground. I turned the second lug nut and they were all loose. I'd had my tires rotated that morning, never tightened it. I'd driven five miles to the house and five miles back to the church. Now, here's what I'm trying to tell you. When you live out intimacy, you're going to hear that voice. You know, there was plenty that had me sidetracked, distracted. I was angry at myself because I didn't have deacons to do it. Not that I was too good. I was trying to prepare to teach. You see what I'm saying? And so, but yet God spoke to me, and I was able to hear it. And, And it impacted my daughter. You know, it impacted her because she saw... My countenance changed. She knew something had taken place. She didn't know what it was. And when we saw those lug nuts, you know, like that. And so what what I'm trying to say to you is God wants to have a relationship with you that he can speak in any circumstance you're in and you can recognize it. Remember what I said? When you recognize the voice of God, that's what the whole the book, activating the prophetic, about. When you recognize the voice of God, it will neutralize the words of the devil and silence the feelings of your flesh. We've become a very fleshly church. You know, the pastor didn't shake my hand. He, you know, he, he didn't do this. He, you know, come. On, you know, we. It's all about us. How many of you know it's not? I mean, I look at the church in Afghanistan and what's going on. We, we don't have a clue. You know, I wrote something. Greg Hood put a great statement the other day, and I wrote something on it. You know, we in America go to church. They in Afghanistan are the church. That's right. Their life's on the line. Of, listen, I've been into those countries. I've been in to several, I call them the stand countries, and, uh, you know, back in the 90s. I mean, I was in Eastern uh europe uh, a whole lot and i've been in in there and we we don't i I, i'm i'm sure there's some here but we don't really understand the persecution like it is and how real it is and how we need to uh, understand how blessed we are i've come back from some of those nations literally wanted to kiss the ground in the united states you know with it and stuff when i first when i was in romania in 1990 We, we, the, the bottled water, you know, that was before bottled water, but they had a bottled water, and it was so filled with sodium, my feet swole to where I couldn't get my boots off, had Western boots. I slept in them for two days, and, and washed with a bath cloth, you know, do what I could to be presentable, and then finally, the third day, I ran the bathtub full of water and just put my boots, my feet, and the boots finally, you know, got wet enough, and they stretched, and I was able to get them off my feet. And uh, it was very difficult to get water that we could drink that didn't have all that sodium in it. And a one-liter bottle of RC Cola was $11. I carried 20 packages of Fig Newtons, did 27 days on RC Cola and Fig Newtons. You couldn't buy food. We don't. We don't... We don't really realize that. We, we panicked when there wasn't any toilet paper. Not, not trying. But see, recognizing the voice of God. I want to talk with you about three promises to those that recognize the voice of God. He said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Verse 28, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand there's three promises there in 28. number one it says i give them eternal life we have a religious mindset in our in the western world that eternal life starts when you die eternal life started when i got born again up until i got born again i was taking 40 hits of speed a day and drinking almost uh, drinking over a fifth of whiskey every day with it. That ain't much of a life. I mean, that's kind of like playing with nitro or gasoline and matches. And when I got born again, in fact, I was seven days before I realized that I'd been delivered off of drugs. Listen, when you get so, everybody say so. so. When you get so delivered, you don't even remember you have a habit. That's a pretty big thing. In fact, seven days after I got born again, I went to the Lazy Susan in our kitchen. I I know none of you will know what I'm talking about, but drug addicts are paranoid. So I put my drugs on the Lazy Susan around all the seasoning because I thought if the drug dogs came in, they couldn't smell it. And I'm, now who you turn around looking at? So anyway, I go there to get some Cavendish Greek seasoning. I believe it's good on ice cream. I mean, I, no, I like, I like it on eggs. I like Cavendish Greek seasoning on eggs. And I went to get my Cavendish to cook something, and I saw my drugs up there. And I hollered and said, come here. I said, it's been seven days, and I hadn't done any drugs. Are you hearing me? That is deliverance. But eternal life started when I got born again. My wife would tell you that she's had, been married one time had three husbands. The heathen. The heathen. Amen. The, the born again one. And then the spirit filled, refined, super improved one. <clears throat> Are you hearing me? And so God works on us. How many, of you, how many of you, come on, I'm asking a real question. How many of you feel you're, you're spiritual? Okay. Then I want you to look at my forehead and see if you can see my tattoo. If you're spiritual, you can see it. I have a tattoo right there, a spiritual tattoo. It says under construction. He's still working on me. I got news for you. He's working on you as well. Amen. He's refining us. But eternal life. What, what is eternal life? Eternal life. Let, let me tell you the greatest thing that eternal life brought to me. The deliverance off a of drug was great. The reconstruction of our marriage was, was awesome and everything. But the peace. Yeah. Anybody know what Maylock is? Yeah. I ate a bottle every week that big heartburn, everything. Now, some of it was the speed, some of it was the whiskey, but most of it was, when I got born again, I owed $783,000 at 20% interest. Just figure that out. You're talking about stressful. And so, with that, do you know that immediately when I got born again, I didn't have to have Malox. I'm the guy Now don't look at me funny, but I'm the guy that can go out in New Mexico, the sonics serve foot-long conies with green chilies on it. Listen, I'll eat green chilies on ice cream. I love green chilies. Hatch New Mexico green chilies. We cook with them all the time. And so I would go, we would preach to two o'clock in the morning under a tent for the Navajo Indian. And I'd go to Sonic, only thing was open, stayed open all night, and I'd get two-foot-long conies with green chilies on it and never had heartburn. Why? Because peace, when eternal life comes, he said, I give them eternal life. When it comes, a peace comes, a peace that surpasses all understanding. Amen? Amen. I had such a peace, my wife and I, what what are we going to do about all this debt? I don't know, it'll work out. And I just I worked hard, and you know we we sadly we had a friend killed in one of our eighteen wheelers. We finally, after three or four years, got a financial settlement, insurance settlement, because he was not at fault, and it paid everything we owed except seventeen thousand dollars. And I went in to see my banker, and you know during that three or four or five years waiting on the lawsuit to get to court, I could have filed bankruptcy and ended up with the whole settlement. But I shook my banker's hand and I told him I wouldn't do that and I kept my word and I went in and told him, I said, I know I owe you $17,000, I don't know how I can pay it but I'm going to pay you something every month, I'm going to pay it. And the banker moved his desk back, drew his center drawer out of it, pulled my note out. Let me just tell you, any bankers here? If they've got your note in their center drawer, that means they've paid it off to keep the bank examiner And he got it out and he drew the note out of the envelope and he tore it in two and he says, year of jubilee, go preach the gospel. Forgave the $17,000. He probably was so thankful we paid him the 500 and some thousand that we owed him. And with that, but what I'm trying to tell you, when eternal life comes in you, it doesn't mean that everything becomes hunky-dory. Anybody ever heard this false gospel, come to Jesus and everything will just be wonderful? When Susan and I came to Jesus, all hell broke loose. Because we were filled with hell and he had to get us delivered. I prayed, I mean the first six months we were born again, I prayed this prayer, I said, Lord God, you got to change Susan, I can't live with her like she is. And I had a million dollar insurance policy and she said, God, you need to kill Clay, he's got a lot of insurance. Well, I'm not exaggerating. I'm, I'm keeping it real, this. But you know what? And Susan would, t- in, the early, in those beginning days, she would say that she didn't love me anymore. And she prayed every day for a year to God put the love back in her heart. Now, can I tell you what we've discovered? The love was there. It just cluttered up with all the disappointments. It, the love never left. It was in there. But God had to soften her, and I had to do some changing. Never abused her. No, I never, was I, in fact, I, I can't stand anybody that abuses a woman. Amen. Amen. And I, what I did, I used to go to bars, i sat sit in bars and I'd catch a man abusing a woman and I became her defender, and, and please hear me, not so I could take her home. I believe it was ministry trying to come out of me and I would change their attitude. Okay. <laughs> and so in the process of that, God had to put us back together. Are you, are you hearing me? And he had, But eternal life. What, what else is eternal life? It, it, listen, so many people are panicking in the body of Christ right now. We're, you know, it's the worst of time, best of time. There's a suddenly of God coming that's going to shift this thing. It's going to blow our mind. And, and listen, if you've got to figure it figured out how it's coming, you're wrong. He's not revealed. I don't know. I have not found a prophet yet that is prophesying what God's going to do. That I have witnessed to it, you know. And and please, I you got one believe Biden's going to be taken out and Trump's going to be put. I'm i not saying it will or won't, but I'm telling you, God's bigger than that, and He's greater than that, and He's more awesome than that. And so what we got to do is just just uh, uh, lay lay siege to the enemy. Dutch does an incredible teaching about when you. When you put the enemy under siege, that's when suddenly's come. And we've been too passive. The, the church is much too nice. Yes. We've been turning the other cheek when we should've knocked their cheek off their... I don't know about you, but I believe in five-fold ministry. <laughs> My wife says it the best of me, but I wish she was here. i let her get, I wouldn't let her. She would get up and share right now. <laughs> She said it this way. Sometimes you have to speak to people in the language they understand. Amen. Amen. Amen? Eternal life. It's a wonderful thing. But he says there to those that hear his voice and follow him. You know, what did Elijah say to Elisha? If you see me when I'm taken, you'll get this mantle. In other words, he was saying to him, if you build a relationship with me, right. not just follow around and watch from a distance, but press in. Yeah. Amen? Press in. I had in the early days of ministry, had the privilege of running with a man by the name of Rick Godwin. Traveled a whole lot with Rick and, and everything. And Rick had a, you know, every minister will have a special, uh, I, don't, I don't like the word special, but I said, a, a significant anointing, like Dad Hagen, uh, cancer. I mean, he had so many people healed of cancer. And Rick Godwin could pray for barren wounds. I mean, it was just amazing. I mean, I, I over the years, I don't know how many times I saw him pray for women that couldn't have babies, and they'd have babies. And so always when he was praying for people, I'd go up and catch, because that's the way you learn to be in the midst, get around the anointing. And I was up there, and this lady came up and said, uh, Brother Godwin said, I-, I know that you have an anointing. I want to have a child, and I need a miracle, and da 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 And, boy, I mean, I saw Rick just perk up. You know, when you know you're anointing, and it stirs your passion, and she said, but I need to tell you something. And he said, well, before you tell me that, I need to, is your, is your husband here? No, he couldn't come to me. Is he in agreement? He said, I can't pray if your husband. She said, yeah, we're in agreement to have a child. And he said, "Okay, I'll pray for him." She said, "Well, I need to tell you something." He said, "What?" And she said, "I've had a total hysterectomy." Boy, I remember thanking him. <laughs> All right, man of God, let's see you dig yourself out of this one. <laughs> and the next word out of his mouth was this: "So be it under your faith." Uh-oh. He laid hands on her. She went home. Probably got near her husband. And the next year at Rick's conference, we dedicated the baby. God did a creative miracle. That's eternal life. That's eternal life. You know, he, you know eternal life is filled with signs and wonders. Eternal life is filled with healings and miracles. Let me tell you, eternal life is filled with reconciliation and, re- and relationships. Eternal life. And he gives that when we become born again. He endows us with that. He goes on to say, verse 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. I don't know current statistics. I haven't looked it up in a couple of years. But a few years ago, divorce was higher among church-going Christians than it was in the world. In other words, we're perishing. See, those that hear his voice, recognize his voice, and he knows them, is intimate with them, they have a supernatural ability that keeps them from perishing. We have a lot of things going on. Can I I share something with you? COVID is real. I don't think we really have the insight on the whole deal, but here's something I know. It feeds on fear. Yes. Totally feeds on fear. With that, I I have a spiritual son named Clay or Clayborn, and his wife Lakeisha Lakeisha's the one that posts all the recordings and trans does all my transcription and everything. And uh, the de- they have an incredible call of God on their life. And recently, going to work, uh, uh, a Clay was hit. By a car and drove into the other lane and then hit by a one ton pickup. Knocked the motor completely out of his car. There's a video out there, it's been hit, I think, almost a half million times now. And he gets out of that car, stunned, airbags everywhere, motor laying across the street, and he starts glorifying God. I mean, it was incredible. And then he gets COVID and all with that and they got a hold of me and he was, had, ended up having to go to the hospital but right before he went to the hospital and I told him I said you got family that's projecting fear over you and there's fear in your household if you'll deal with it and he, he just you know he went in the hospital and it wasn't there I think two days but you know with it but listen COVID it feeds on fear with people and there's so much stuff there's a video out there i'm not real i don't promote promote videos hardly ever but there's a video of a lady whose husband got COVID, and they she went into the hospital and argued with the doctor and changed all the protocols how many have seen it it's an incredible video i'm i'm just telling you and uh they're, they're it's i don't understand I, I really don't understand i'm as far as i'm going But I'm just telling you, there are things that can be done with it. I just uh, had a, I didn't get a physical in 2020 due to COVID and all that. But I have a, I just had my annual physical and the nurse practitioner. Our, uh, our medical doctor is ordained through NEI and practices holistically. Incredible friend. And uh, she couldn't see it. She came in the other day, over, she, she couldn't see it, but she has a nurse practitioner. And, uh, and we were talking to her. And her the nurse practitioner's husband got COVID. And the whole time he had COVID, she was taking, how do you pronounce it, Jackie? Uh, Ivermectin. Yeah. And she was taking it the whole time. And she slept with her husband every night he had COVID. And never got it. Now, I'm not trying to make that a miracle drug. But what I'm trying to do, there's just so much stuff. Let me, let me just tell you, if you know anybody that ha- gets COVID, tell them immediately. Start taking Zyrtec and Pepsi. Senator Jason Rapert, a friend of mine, a Arkansas State Senator, when he got COVID, when he got to the hospital in Conway, the first thing they gave him, they actually gave him Clarendon D, which is almost the same as Zyrtec and Pepsit. And I mean, I've heard he was headed to the hospital. I texted him, and when he saw his, and I said, get someone to bring you into the hospital, Zyrtec and Pepsit. And he said, well, that's funny. I, the first thing they gave me when I got here was Clarion D and Pepsit. And I know I have a friend who's prophetic who actually invented Rogaine for hair loss. And he worked with some research doctors and scientists about Zyrtec and, and uh, Pepsit together. And there's so much stuff that we can do. I'm, I, I, I know I'm kind of off on one of my rabbit trails, my wife would say, but I'm just telling you, come on, let's deal with the fear. And there's a lot of people that are very, very, very fearful of it. I, last year, I traveled 32 weekends. I was in three nations and 37 states. Are you hearing me? And I, we actually thought when we left Reset 2020, we had some mild symptoms, we thought we had it, but they just did a test the other day and we don't have any of the antibodies uh, that where we've ever had it and everything without. We just you know, just had a, uh, my wife had a fever and I just ran out of energy, which I never run out of energy. And with that, you, you wanna say something?
1: Yeah, I, actually I'm gonna call us, I'm gonna ask us to do something. Right as Clay was talking about COVID feeding on fear. I got a text from my daughter-in-law and her best friend who's in the hospital with COVID pneumonia and they're transferring her from Macon to Piedmont as we speak. But here's why I wanted to bring this and I want y'all to agree with me. It sounds like part of the reason for venting her She's pregnant, six months pregnant. Was made in order to help her body to rest. Her anxiety was so bad she hadn't slept in three or four days. So she isn't resting or healing from the pneumonia. The plan seems to give her another week or so to buy James. That's the baby's name. Some more time. He's stable and all signs are good. And then to reevaluate evaluate if they need to deliver James in order to help Tiffany heal see it's fear it's fear so I'm just going to ask you if you pray for Tiffany Uh, we need I mean she is a precious she's been my daughter-in-law's best friend since college and I just saw her about six weeks ago and she had miscarried two babies had trouble conceiving she has one son that's sick so her fear of the COVID and of losing this child is overtaking her so i just wrote my daughter-in-law and i said pray for the perfect love of god to cast out fear
0: and i'm going to add this in the the lady we bought the land from her name is francine lovell she is from france originally but has spent time she traveled with sister gwen shaw as, in, as a translator for years and she has COVID, and she's been non-responsive for five days. Now, part of that is they, the anxiety and everything, and they have sedated her because she's not fighting at the lack of being able to breathe and everything. Francine's 86 going on 60, and I don't believe her time's up. I, I do not, you know, with it. And so we're going to pray for both of them. Father, we lift up this young woman with child. Her name's Tiffany, and we just declare healing to Tiffany. We speak into her lungs, and we command those lungs to function normally. We release from within her and within us resurrection power, the power of reversal. And we declare if, if resurrection can reverse death into life, it can reverse this assignment of death against her and Francine. We declare healing and health. We pray a protective hedge of the blood of Christ and the word of God around them and around anyone who's got this. Let the doctors treat them properly. Let antibodies be infused into their system. Let the right medication be done. How many of you love me? And let the doctor say to hell with the CDC. I'm sorry, but what, they're, what they are saying is coming straight out of hell. Yes. I, I'm just telling you, go to their website and look at the nonsense and the contradictions and everything that they're putting. I, You know, I do not understand how we got where we're at uh, with it. I do not. But Father, we speak healing and health over Tiffany and Francine and anyone else that's a friend or family of anyone here, we we declare miracles into their system in Jesus' name. He said they won't perish. You know, intimacy will keep you from perishing. Are you hearing me? It will keep you from perishing. When I was five years old, I tell this story a lot, but When I was five, I had a disease. I came down with a disease called encephalitis, sleeping sickness. My brain was swelling. I became paralyzed. I laid in Le Bonheur Children's Hospital in Memphis for seven months paralyzed from the waist down. My parents were not Christians. They knew about God, but they didn't know God. But I had someone in my life that knew God. We had a housekeeper. My parents worked out of the home, and Her name was Mary Thornton, and she cooked all the meals and washed the clothes and took care uh, of my sister and I and spanked my backside, (laughs) not near enough, and uh, with it, and so after I was in the hospital a while, they brought Mary to Memphis to the hospital to see me, and while she was there, this is what she said. My dad brought her. My mom was there with me, and she looked him in the eye, and this is what she said. God done told me. Now, if you haven't found that in the Bible, that's thus saith the Lord. She said, God done told me. He's gonna heal clay and he's gonna preach the gospel all over the world. Now, the healing part was very hard for my parents to receive. But the preaching the gospel, I mean, that was... That was somewhere between Jesus turning water into wine and walking on water. (laughs) You have to understand, I was the first Nash of 246 Nashes to become born again. Now almost every one of them are born again. Ray Hughes prophesied to me that I was the redeemer, not even knowing that. And so anyway, uh, Mary prophesied that I would be healed and I would preach the gospel around the world. I've preached in 58 nations now. It's not the whole world, but it's sure the big portion of it. And I don't remember the timeline, but sometime after she told my parents that, I had a ferocious appetite, hunger. And my mother went to the nurse on duty about midnight, and she said, he's really hungry. She said, could you bring him anything that he could munch on? And when the nurse came, guess what she brought? grape juice and crackers (laughs) and when she gave it to me she said let's make like this is the Lord's table I didn't know what the Lord's table was I was not being raised in church and anyway the next morning everybody say the next morning morning. sometimes little boys need to get up early in the morning and go wee wee can you say that in church and I jumped out of bed and went. Hallelujah. And my mother, who was sleeping on a daybed there, she suddenly became Pentecostal. <laughs> well, not really, but she had both hands there thanking Jesus. She knew enough to thank Him. Amen. And uh, I've had my spine t- tapped three times, and they say the fluid's not right, and I shouldn't walk, and all, all of this. Why? Because somebody was intimate with God. Somebody had a relationship, and they pressed into the heart of God. And what God said to them, they spoke, and I didn't perish. Susan and I were both raised in the same little town in Arkansas, population 400. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I was in the hospital with a disease. My best friend's sister, another friend, not not Louis Francis McLean, Jr. (laughs) I don't know why I like saying that. But my other friend, sister, died of the same disease. So how many of you know in a town of 400 that has no Pentecostal expression, spirit-filled expression, and a child dies of a disease, they weren't prophesying my healing? The town wasn't. Everybody was saying, well, you know Clay's going to die. Surely did. But yet there was that one person who had that, and I didn't perish. Let me give you my last point. I've probably gone on too long. And it says, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. In other words, those that recognize the voice of God will never be separated from his provision. Yeah. Snatch out of hand. It, it is protection, his hand protection, but it also provides for us. We've been amazed. You know, Dutch, Becca Greenwood... Roger Teal, Robert Henderson, bunches more prophesied we do acquire land in Arkansas. So we began to pursue acquiring land. Uh, you know, I thought 25, 40 acres. And the first thing he did, we went and looked at a piece on Dr. Curtis, said, I want to bless your land, build you a cabin on it. And I heard God say No. We drove away that night, Susan was with me, our oldest daughter Dawn, who's in ministry with us, with us. And I looked at her and I said, "That's not our land." And Dawn said, "Yeah, Dad, I, I I have a witness of that." So we turned the land down. And we found this land. We knew it was our land for five months. Never saw it. We knew it. We we talked to Francine about it. On March the sixth, two thousand and fifteen, I was hosting a meeting in Little Rock, Arkansas, with Dutch and Chuck. Fresh wind rising, and Chuck was leaving to go to the airport. Dutch was going to finish the last session, and he stopped and whirled to Sudan and told us to stand up, and we stood up. and This is what he said: He said, "You are to discover." He said, "You are to discover the Ark in Arkansas, and when you do, you'll be ready to move out and lead in the nation." And I'll be honest with you, I mean, we had a hard time with that word. What does it mean, the ark in Arkansas? Act? You know, when, when you don't hear Holy Spirit, what do we do? Google. <laughs> and so I Googled, and there's actually a cult in Arkansas that believes the Ark of the Covenant is hidden in the hills of Arkansas. But I knew immediately that wasn't true. And uh, we just kept going. And so finally, after knowing for five months that property was ours, we went to look at it. We spent two days on it in her motor home and Francine came out to get the keys from us and we were getting ready to leave. and Susan looked up on the balcony on the front it's an Austrian chalet. The man who built it, his wife was uh, was from Austria. that's Jim Lovell. She died of cancer and then he married Francine. and he carved into the railing or the, uh, on, the, on the balcony the ark and 18 inch letters. And we asked Francine hey, women, he said 1975 when he built it. So we did. We have discovered the ark in Arkansas. Amen. Pretty good confirmation, Amen. would you agree? And so in the process of all that, God had a word for us and he has provided. We bought that piece of land three years and four months ago for $700,000. The trust that it was in, financed it at zero interest for five years. We mailed a payment before I flew here Thursday. I flew here Friday. Thursday before I flew here, we mailed a payment in. We've now paid $350,000 of $700,000 in just over three years. Are you hearing me? It's a miracle. We're not a big ministry. And we believe we'll finish out the other... 350,000 in the next two years or actually a little less than two years. And while I'm at it, with your permission, can I just mention something? If you want to help us, your prayer is very significant, but you can go to our website, my website, claynash.org, and you can buy a ticket there for $100. And there will be a drawing that's March the 31st and if your ticket is drawn, you get a week's free stay in the chalet. And it's beautiful. Yeah, it, 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 especially with the remodeling. Someone blessed us with a ton of money to remodel it, and we are doing it right. And then someone blessed us—bless my wife with a free sw- shopping spree in an Ashley's Furniture Store. And so not all the furniture is brand new, but most of it. $30,000 worth of furniture. I mean, just we've watched the favor of God just incredible. So anyway, you can go there and purchase a ticket. And if you're the winner, you get six nights, seven days there, 20 minutes from Branson, 15 minutes from Table Rock, 35 minutes from North Fork Lake, I mean, it's an incredible place. But also, during the week, Sue and I are going to come and carry you to Big Cedar Lodge, owned by Bass Pro, and treat you to, if you like, steak, a a great meal and a night of fellowship. And if you win, you can give a week's free stay to the minister of your choice. And the ministry or church that sells the most tickets Gets a week's free stay for someone on staff. So for a hundred-dollar ticket, three weeks free stay at the chalet, and it's an incredible. We're going to provide a uh, Polaris Ranger so you can tour the land. Uh, you know, it, just everything about it. One hundred percent. Everybody say one hundred percent. Of the your hundred dollars goes to debt reduction. There are no calls coming, no administration calls, no anything. In fact, Clay Nash Ministries, how many of you know you can't process a credit card without there being charges? And so Clay Nash Ministries are paying all those charges so that 100% of your $100 goes to debt reduction. We're, we're asking God for 1,000 tickets to sell. That's $100,000. And uh, I think we're... We're at around 200 have sold so far. So I believe we'll do uh, uh, the 1,000 tickets. But we need your help. And let me just share with you. Eight people can stay that week. You could co-opt $100. 20 here, 20 there. You know, with that. Yeah, I'm a salesman. And... (laughs) With it, but I, but I but let me just tell you why it's so important. It's not about getting the land paid for. We cannot start on the wilderness life skills school camp until the land's paid for. That was the provision to get free interest. And so, there's adolescents that need what we're going to give. If I could start building it tomorrow. You know, it would. we want to get them there we want to give that we want to leaven this nation with righteous adolescent that will go back out and disciple their peers and we're going to need some of you to come bring your life skills now, let me get off of this and finish last thing I've already given you all three points but I'm going to go back to that last one it, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand Those that recognize the voice of God will never be separated from the Father. The people that I've known that have become shipwrecked, quit on God, threw in the tower, those that quit recognizing. Jackie kind of said it, uh, quit recognizing the voice of God. Jackie kind of said it, I'm going to say it, but Kenneth Copeland has said this for 100 years, maybe not quite. If you're not hearing God, go back to the last thing he said to you and see if you've executed it in total obedience. I, when I heard him say that 40 years ago, we began to put that in practice. And I can tell you, it's been a, a lifesaver many times. We did it. So I close with saying this. I believe everything rises and falls on recognizing the voice of God. There's a lot of confusion in the body of Christ. God's not saying multiple things. He's saying things multiple ways, but he's not saying multiple things. He's saying the same thing. He's saying the same thing to the Methodists. He's saying the same thing to the Baptists. He's saying the same thing to the apostolic tribe or stream, to, to the word of faith stream. He's saying it all. But we have to press into this so that we can recognize and be intimate with God. And as we do that, we're going to see greater things begin to take place. Amen? Amen. Jackie, how do we want to set this up?
1: When I woke up this morning, I saw the two of us taking what we began last night with the questions and just dialoguing with you and we bounce off of each other quite well we've been doing this for a while we've never actually taught this together so this has been kind of fun um but i know this we've said a lot but if you've got questions do you happen to have another mic and it'll just make it easier so on your podcast we'll hear um but just if you've got questions comments you know anything like that just that we can dialogue with you. I have been doing this um, at our Tuesday night training and equipping class, and it's probably one of the most dynamic things that we do. Let me, so, let me,
0: The Scripture, said, the scripture <laughs> says that you have no need of man to teach you, but the anointing shall teach you all things. We shifted about 15 years ago, 16 years ago in everything we do in order to build an environment where the anointing could be the teacher. And one of the ways you do that, and you'll find through Jackie's message today and I hope and believe through mine, we've not taught you what to think about the prophetic, we've taught you how to think about it. When you teach people what to think, you eliminate the environment for the anointing to become your teacher. And the charismatic movement for the last 50 years or more has been more about teaching you what to think than how to think. And when you create an environment of how to think, then the anointing can come in. There are people, I've watched lights come on in some of you as I've been speaking, and I'm sure they did as Jackie, I wasn't looking at you, uh, those aha moments. Because what it... What it did, it shifted you in your ability to know how to think about the prophetic. You know, one of the things I I mentioned just very briefly last night, I'm going to say, I I work very diligently to stay tethered to to the natural. I like like being spooky. (laughs) I mean, I can step into that realm. And it becomes just strange and bizarre because I'm. And let me just tell you why. I'm not boasting because I'm more aware of what's going on in the spirit realm right now than I am what's going on with you. It's the way God has geared me in this way. But what I work to do is to help people understand you don't have to glow in the dark (laughs) to be tethered to the natural and, and with it. You know, one of the. Thank God for mystical people. Harold Everly's got a good book on this. Thank God for mystical people. But mystical people have created a lot of havoc and, and, and a lot of distrust in the charismatic movement, you know, and stuff. I mean, uh, you know, we've, even in the dreams that have come, we've tried to be very, very careful in the way they're presented so that they don't become so mystical that people, you know, want to get out here. In fact, when the call began to dwindle somewhat in callers, it was the people who wanted the mystical began to fall off first. they wrote me ugly email. Well, I loved it when y'all were doing this and doing that, but when y'all kind of settled into this core you're in now, I, I, I don't no longer want to be a part. And what they were looking is for mystical promises and experiences and with that. And so just know that we can do it. So we're going to, Field these questions and uh
1: but who's got one?
0: Come on. Who, who's gonna run the mic out to him so we can record it and hear the, the question? We have one right here. You gonna do that? No, we're gonna... Oh, I'm gonna let him come up? Oh. Well I was gonna let him he was gonna run
1: the mic. <laughs> <laughs> and we can share the bike runner. Okay, somebody has to have a question. There's no wrong questions. No stupid questions.
0: I haven't gotten my steps in, so I'm going to need you to ask some questions. <laughs> I have a question for you. um, Does your spiritual authority? You said you know when when we get a word, we need to get our spiritual authority. Does that have to be somebody in your church? I'm going to let you go. Thank you. I know. Just throw me on the bus. Uh, I want to make sure I heard your question right. So when I said, take your prophecy to someone who has spiritual authority in life, does it have to be someone in your church? I would say the best answer would be yes, but the true answer would be no. If you're attending a assembly of people, there should be some accountability there. But I know that the church is being reconstituted at this time and it's transitioning, and I get hundreds of emails every month people wanting to, me to help them find a church in Pennsylvania that's kind of in the vein that we're in on the call, and that's not possible. Yeah. And so I, the thing that I will tell you, Paul said commit these things to faithful men and women, Second 2 Timothy 2, 2, I think it is. I would only share my prophetic words with those who are faithful, and those that I have relational covenant with, because only those that that are willing to take responsibility should be speaking in and holding you accountable. And so, it's it, it, the best. If we were in a perfect world, and we're not, it, the best would be able to find that in your local assembly where your family. But because not every church is moving. Every assembly of people are moving in this vein. I do realize that it is difficult to do that. But I will tell you, whoever you sit down with, and, it, and it's even better if it's more than one person. We don't have very many things written in stone at Gate and South Haven, but a couple of things written in stone, no one, no one is allowed to prophesy that it's not recorded. Yep. We have somewhere close to 10 of these digital recorders and we don't allow. It. I, there's a prophet. If I mention his name, some of you wouldn't recognize the name. And we the last time he he would pop in the meeting. He wasn't ministering, and and then he would spend 30 minutes after service over in the parking lot prophesying to people not recorded. And the last time he showed up, I said, if you give one prophecy that's not recorded, or if you give one prophecy in the parking lot, I said, I'm I'm going to pull together a council of people and we're going to deal with you. And hadn't been. Well, it's been about one time since then. But my point is, we record it not just for the safety of the person who gets a prophetic word. We record it for the safety of the person who gives that word. You can misunderstand. No one can hear a word and get the fullness of it. No one. I, listen, I'm about as prolific in that arena as anybody you've seen. I have been blessed with a memory uh, That's just, you know, my wife tells me all the time, cut off. And I'll say it was March the 9th. The wind was blowing 20 miles an hour. It was 13 <laughs> degrees right. outside. And, and it's just how God wired me. It doesn't make me special. It's just how I'm wired. And with it. So I, I know I've gone around the mountain with it. But it, it's very important. But it, it's it's more important to be with those that, that are willing to take response. You know, if you would come to me. And share it, and I gave you wrong counsel on the word, and it got you in a mess. I'm going to get right back in there and help you straighten out the mess I helped create. Not everyone's willing to do that. You got anything to add? I
1: just would agree. I totally agree. And just find people that believe in you. Because if you submit your words to somebody that doesn't believe in you and doesn't believe that God has a purpose in you, they can take those words and shut them down. So there, that's where the relational covenant is important. There are certain words that, that I wouldn't take to some people because I know that there's ill intent or whatever. or there's just not that relationship. But find the people that care for you, that you give them permission to speak truth into your life. Um, I bring words that I get to Clay, um, if it's some things I, I will take to Dutch. I don't bother him a whole lot with stuff, but I will take things to him, to Greg, to different people. I will take those words and say, this is what I'm working with mm-hmm. and get the feedback. But I know they believe in me, right. And they, they, they will speak truth, so that if I'm looking at it and going here they can say to me, uh, let's take a look at it again. And I can trust that because of the relationship. Does that make sense? And then I just want to speak into this recording thing. We record absolutely everything at city mm-hmm. including our leadership team meetings
0: okay.
1: because When you're in a discussion, if you're in a, even our training meetings, all that kind of stuff, it doesn't mean that it goes out public, but we have the record of it so that if somebody says, well, so-and-so said dot, 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 and so-and-so over here says, but so-and-so said whatever, then you can go back, okay, let's go look at the recording and we can see who really said what and then we can, okay, what did you hear? Because a lot of times, like Clay said, what we hear is not what's said. Right. And so we have to... I, I'm. It's just really across the board. We don't do anything without it being recorded. Yeah.
0: Second thing that we do is anybody in leadership at CityGate, if you get a prophetic word, you got to sit with the elders and go over that word and let us help you unpackage it. We're just almost legalistic with those... Those two to. things. Another thing, too, if you submit your word to the wrong people, they'll rain on your parade.
1: That's exactly right.
0: And that's what even Paul said, commit it to faithful men and women. There, there's four people group that should be in every assembly. Paul, who is a spiritual father. <laughs> Timothy, who is his spiritual son. Faithful men and women who are sons of the house. And I'll explain that a little bit further. And the others—that's the crowd that comes on Sunday or Saturday, whenever your main service is. In other words, Paul poured into Timothy, who was a spiritual son of his heart. Timothy poured into the to the faithful men and women who were spiritual sons and daughters of the house. And the others pour, and the spiritual sons and daughters of the house, faithful men and women, poured into the others. So I spend 80% of my time pouring into the spiritual sons and daughters of my heart. It, it's not that other people are not valuable. But when I everyone needs to discover these four people groups in any ministry. And if you focus that, really the 80% is the Pareto principle. John Maxwell teaches it. And by pouring into them, I bring them up to another level so they can bring their group up to another level who can with it because where I live is so far distance from where the others live. They have this idea that God only does these things because I'm an apostle or I'm a prophet or, or I'm the senior leader or, you know, I'm God's chosen. They're God's chosen And so it's just very important. We're in a time of transition. I understand, I'm not saying your dilemma, but I understand the dilemma in the church uh, with that but just uh, I'd say to anyone here be cautious about who you submit your words to because there are uh, listen there are people who are not healed who are not healthy who are filled with jealousy and they want to they want they'll go out and start telling people about your word and speaking word curses and all of this and it, it's just not good
1: and do if in a house the other i um, You know, you hate to say you got rules, but do have rules. Um, If somebody comes in and has a prophetic word for someone, and I have found recently someone violated this, and it is being dealt with, but they and just go to the word, go to the person, and deliver the word without getting leadership with them to listen to the word and have it recorded. Not happening. Because it leaves what, hap- what happened there totally outside of accountability and in, in a danger zone because it's not submitted to the leadership of the house.
0: I'm going to go back 1990, my first trip into Wales, hosting a prophetic conference. I call a young man out, a young pastor. It was a leadership conference. And I prophesied the word of the Lord into him. We're standing about like this. And when I get through saying, thus saith the Lord, he grabs the mic out of my hand, turns to the people and said, this word's not of God. I don't receive it. I was there with my spiritual father, Warren Chenton, who was a very wise man. And he just told me, he said, you go on with the service. They took the young man and two or three other ministers and a recording of the word. And he carried him into an office. And this is what he said to him. Tell me what the word just said. And he went through what the word said and and then he played it. And the pastor even said, that's not the word he spoke to me. So they worked it all through and he came back out, the pastor did, stood before 300 leaders and said, I need to repent to this man. said, number one, I don't like Americans. And number two, I can't stand prophets. So in other words, he didn't hear what was being spoken because yeah. there was a filter there. And I say this, we don't see things as they are. Mm-hmm. We see things as we are. That's right. And there's a filter on things. People become critical. <laughs> there's a lot of things, there's a lot of methods to getting God's work done. And because someone doesn't do it like you do it, doesn't necessarily mean that they're wrong. Uh, you know, I've, I've adapted uh, greater wisdom from Dutch and some of the protocols that he has in place, you know, uh, with it. I mean, he. but when it comes to commissioning and all that, he set up the protocols for it, but he, but he turns it over to me. I do, I do in any eye, I probably do 90% of all the commissioning, 85 at least. And uh, Dutch has challenged me to write a book on it because of revelation that I've been carrying for almost 40 years now, and I'm working on that. And so we learn to work, but be, be very wise in only submitting to faithful men and women who really care about you and are not insecure and healthy men and women. The four people groups again. Okay. You have Paul is a spiritual father. This is in 2 Timothy 2.2, I'm pretty sure. Then you have Timothy, a spiritual son. And I've added this, a son of his heart. You can go back through some of Paul's writings to Timothy and Word. And then you have faithful men and women who are spiritual sons and daughters of the house. At City Gate, Claiborne and Lakisha are a spiritual son and daughter of my heart but there are others that are sons and daughters of the house mm-hmm. and there's a difference. Yep. I make myself very available to the sons and daughters of my heart. Just like I do my own children. If my, if my son would start calling me over and over and over right now, I know that there's something up because he knows that where I'm at and what I'm doing and all that. And I might even say to you, Jackie, take it over and step out and see what Dean needs. Mm-hmm. You, you see what I'm saying? So you have, Spiritual fathers, sons and daughters of the heart, sons and daughters of the house, and the others. I actually sometimes say, I call the others the Johnny-come-latelys. <laughs> most of the time, the others, not all the time, most of the time are takers and not givers. I've got another little book that I need to get finished. I'm, uh, the greatest lessons I've learned in ministry. And one of those is you cannot help anyone who's a taker and not a giver. The whole kingdom runs on seed time and harvest. And anything outside of that's not kingdom. And so I can pay their bills, I can catch their car payment up, I can rent them a car when they have a death in the family, I can do it all, but the next month they're right back to the same place because the whole principle, when, when I owed 783000 at 20% interest, you don't know how I got out of debt? Gave my way out of debt. I started giving. And so don't come to me and tell me tithing, not for today. I can show you the book of Hebrews where it's mentioned. Don't come to me and tell me all this stuff. Because not only are you speaking against God's word, you're speaking against my experience. And you're not going to change me on it. I started tithing in 1982. And I, I'm just telling you, last year when we did our taxes, we gave away 38% of mine and Susan's personal income. And, I, and, and listen, I'm blessed. I someone would ask me today, the Indian motorcycle I have, I had a guy call me, it's probably worth thirty to thirty-two thousand. The guy said to me, said, uh, I, I really want to bless it. I can't totally give it to you. I thought, you know, he's gonna want at least he said, Can you come up with six thousand dollars? I said, let me pray about it. yes. <laughs> and I live in that vein. I I live in that vein and I and I'm not special to God god does it because i'm faithful to his ways i'm faithful to his word
1: anybody else let him get over here just so we have it we can hear well
0: how you doing miss jackie um i wanted to ask a question about dream interpretation Uh, Mm -hmm. when i was a child i used to have uh, extremely vivid dreams about near-death experiences most of them were in color uh, can you speak on any of that? About what kind of
1: experiences again?
0: Near-death experiences. Mm. Uh, some would be something I had never seen before. Others would be something I was very close to. Uh, but they usually it had to do with me in a near-death experience and not anybody else. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Uh, he said about near-death Near experience. death experiences. in death experiences and dreams. Okay. Yeah. Let, me, let me step into this uh, and yep. follow up. But one of the did we have a tendency as human beings to always come from the dark side interpreting things. Yep. Anybody ever had a dream that had people dressed in black in it? hmm Okay. You know black is the color of authority in dream language? So it doesn't mean because they're dressed in black. Let me tell you a, a, a dream I had. I dreamed I went back to my hometown, Wheatley, Arkansas. I have a cousin named, I'm not going to say his name on tape, I have a cousin I would raised like a brother to. He's been the mayor of this town for 46 years now. And when I drove into town, I'm coming down, uh, let me think for just a minute, I'm coming down Memphis Avenue, in this little town, population 300 now, and I saw my cousin who Him and I were deputy sheriffs together. And I saw him with his gun pulled, and it it was daylight, but I could see the headlights of my truck reflecting on all the houses. And I saw him go in the house. The only difference was the house was turned 90 degrees. The house faced Memphis Avenue, but it was not facing, it faced south. And I saw him go in there, and so I reached and grabbed my pistol, and I was gonna give him back up. He hadn't seen me yet. And the next thing I knew, I heard shots, and people were everywhere, and they came out and told me he'd been killed. And this dream shook me. But I have someone in my life, Vicki Billman, part of our leadership, she's written an incredible book on dream interpretation. I, I sent it to her, and she gave me the interpretation. She said, it's not about him dying. It's about part of the Nash legacy dying. It just so happened that he is the oldest living male Nash. I'm the second oldest now. All our, and my dad was one of 13 kids. He had six brothers, six sisters, Nash brother's business, big family. I, I, I presently have six cousins that farm 75,000 acres. Uh, this cousin I'm talking about has retired, his son has taken over. So I thought, I was very worried for him. Mm-hmm. I was very concerned. But when the interpretation came back, the reflection of my lights, the house being turned 90 degrees, everything, it was all a positive dream. So when you're talking about, let's say, how did you, what you call it? Uh, near-death experiences. Near-death experiences. It could be that some of that came out of a generational curse It's on your family, but it also could be that was the death of you to the natural to become a spiritual person. And so the biggest flaw, not speaking about you, but us in general, we have a tendency to lean towards the the negative. I, I, I thank God I was raised by a man that was an eternal optimist, and I made that word up, not optimist, but the eternal optimist, and I'm one. If I'm flying home on Sunday and the planes start crashing, I decide to jump out of it, there's a haystack waiting on me. <laughs> That's just how I'm geared. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not, I've been that way 68 years now, almost 69, and I'm not changing. Are, are you hearing? And so in this, having the right interpretation of that I every time I had a fever as a child after I had encephalitis I had a dream that I was in this desert area kind of a pasture but desert and a thousand white horses were running and there was and I could see a rock about 150 yards away and I knew if I could get behind that rock they would jump over me and I, every time I had a fever I had this dream and then later on in life someone told me said that, that was not a negative dream it was about you getting connected to the rock of salvation, yeah. yeah, and the white the white horses even speak of purpose and destiny, but it's but I have to tell you, it scared me spitless every time I had it as a child, you know, with it because it was over and over. And
1: even if it was a dream of a near death, okay, in it, it could be. Just very simply a warning of God saying, This is what the enemy has intended, but I'm showing you so that you come up over it. So you have to take it again back to that interpretation so that you know what to do. The the what I said to y'all early about you know, the Lord giving me a warning that wasn't a dream, but it was about what was happening with my son. I could have gone into fear, dread, and all kinds of shutdown, but the Lord said, no, this is my strategy. So when you get something like that, that has a the potential of a fear stretched into it, you understand what I'm saying by that? Is that fear tentacle kind of comes at you when you have something? And we do that. I mean, something comes, and it's like, Whoa. Press in and say, okay, God, I see this, but you're a good father and I can trust your goodness. So I'm asking you out of your goodness, how do you want me to respond to what I have seen in my dream or in the word? So always look to the character of God to know how to respond. Because you will, I mean, there are times we will get warning things and they don't look real pretty. But when we press into the Lord, he can show us how how do we combat this? How do we war against it? How do we come up over the fear that the enemy is trying to release? And even if it's in color, God may be saying, okay, this is what the enemy has planned for you, but I say. Does that help? Thank you, Kyle. This has been an honor. Thank you guys for trusting us. Thank you.